What's up, guys? We're back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, Ahmed. And I'm your host, John. And this week, we actually have a very special guest, uh, as we've been having for a few weeks now. Um, it, this is our good friend, Tijan Shah. Uh, Tijan has uh, gone through the undergraduate process, gone through medical school, and is now uh, doing his res- residency at uh, Brown, what was it? Yeah, Brown University in Radiology. He had a, a very interesting path, and I think a lot of people can learn a thing or two from it, whether or not you're pre-med or if you're uh, even thinking about pre-med. So, yeah, I'm really excited for this one. Uh, let's jump right in. Yeah, let's dive in. All right, Tejan. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, sure. Um, so you guys already know my name. Um, I just graduated med school in, uh, 2000, sorry. Yeah. 2021 very recently in May, um, went to Stony Brook with these two. Um, they were little babies when, um, I was a senior, they were freshmen. Um, and you know, kind of did the typical pre-med route. Um, but I actually did come in to undergrad, um, trying to explore a career, um, in journalism. I'm really passionate about sports. I really love baseball, basketball, football, and I thought I maybe wanted to be a sports journalist. I actually, uh, started majoring in journalism. Um, eventually kind of changed that to a minor, always had medicine in the back of my mind. Um, and I really, um, you know, I have a lot of family that, that are in medicine and um, I got to learn a lot from them, um, shadowing them, um, just honestly, mostly talking to them about their lives, the satisfaction they get, um, you know, from helping people as uh, corny as that may seem, um, that kind of really struck a chord with me. Um, And also going back to the journalism aspect, um, I I, I realized that even in medicine, um, there's almost an element of journalism, um, you know, in research, um, or in, um, you know, in communicating your ideas, um, you have to be able to, you know, take very complex subjects or not really dumb them down, but kind of narrow them down uh, so that your patients can really understand them and also communicate your ideas to your colleagues. And I think, um, that kind of, uh, that kind of was really attractive to me about medicine. So being an effective communicator. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, you can't do that then. Exactly. Everyone else needs to be involved and be able to help out. If they don't know what's going on, you can't communicate that. Then Exactly. Exactly. That's huge. Whether you're communicating with your patient also, or the doctors. Yep. I had another question, but I didn't mm-hmm. want to interrupt. Yeah, no worries. It was farther back. Um, what made you change from journalism to, was the influence from the, the people in your life that you mentioned? Or like, what was the reason why you you said, mm-hmm. oh, I can't do journalism? Yeah, honestly, like, you know, you have to think about the reality of what a journalist's life is like. Um, you know, I had no idea, um, you know, the grind that a journalist has to go through. Um, it's a very like unforgiving industry. Um, you have to kind of run like a rat race. And I was talking to one of my professors and, um, you know, he was like, you have to think about, um, you know, just kind of the, 
one, the lifestyle of a journalist. You, when you're when you're young as a journalist, you kind of have to be everywhere at ungodly hours, and you're not going to get certain opportunities. And um, you kind of have to start from the bottom. And there's nothing other than experience, and um, you know, just basically like doing doing the dirty work that can like nothing other than that that can really propel you in your career. Um, that's that's one thing, and not that you know I was afraid of hard work, but that's just a consideration that you have to take. Um, you know, I think another thing is that you're grinding a lot for a little, exactly the way you're making it. Yeah. And from what you're it's grinding a lot for a little, and you know, you kind of have to look at compensation. Why not grind a lot for a lot? Exactly. At the end of the, you do have to pick, like you have to make a lifestyle choice at the end of the day. Exactly. Exactly. And Be honest with yourself. That's exactly what I was getting to. I think, you know, at the end of the day, journalists don't make that much money and they grind a lot. Exactly. Um, so you have to. You have to think about that. Um, you want to think about the lifestyle that you live or you will live in the future, and you can't really forget about that. Yeah, so uh, you went to undergrad at Stony Brook. Mm-hmm. What was the process of, you know, postgrad? Did you take a year? Did you, yeah. start, did you study for the MCAT? What's the process of trying to get into a med school? Yeah, first and foremost, you have to – so you're allowed to major in anything if you're uh, a pre-med. Um, but first and foremost, you have to take some prerequisite classes. You got to take, you know, all the same classes that everyone takes um, in the entire country if they want to become a doctor or a PA um, or even a nurse. So you have to take, you know, bio, biochem, um, physics, all that, all the basic sciences, some math, some English, and even some writing. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but you can major in anything. You can major in business. You can major in, you know, whatever you want. So. I kept medicine in the back of my mind and always made sure that I had those prerequisites. Um, And then around your third or fourth year, um, it really depends on when you want to matriculate into medical school. Um, Excuse me. Um, But I took my MCAT, um, I believe the end of my third year. Um, So I was, you know, grinding throughout um, that school year, not only studying for um, my, my classes. Um, but I also took an MCAT class, um, on campus. Um, the guy's name is Dan Block. I'm sure he's still on campus. Like he still does, uh, um, classes. He was great. Um, highly was it through the school or would mm-hmm. you just pay and it would be, yeah, held it was like through people, you know, in the school. So it, it, he, he, yeah, he, he's, he doesn't do it through the school. Gotcha. Um, but it, it was like on campus, like, uh, by on, in the, in the hotel, I guess it's technically off campus. He assigned like assignments and, or like exactly. do a practice these questions or something. Exactly. So he would have he made like, you do work too. Yeah. He made us do work. Um, he would have like, kind of like these handwritten, not handwritten, but hand typed, um, packets that he would give us, which with a lot of high yield information for the MCAT. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he would have classes every, twice a week for four months, I believe. Um, so it was a ton of classes, a ton of work. Um, but I think I could not have been, uh, you know, I wouldn't have gotten into med school without that course. Uh, what, if you don't mind responding, what percentile did you score? I scored, that? at that time, I scored a 517, which I guess was like 95th on the MCAT. Um, I think that's so it was a kill. It was a good, insane. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm proud of that. I think, um, but you kind of have to get at least like a five ten to really get into U S med school. 
um, especially now. So like that you have to get in the 80th percentile at least. So, you know, you're only really. But one point is a big, could be a big drop it's, off. It's a big drop. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, then I didn't take any gap years because I, you know, I had all the requisites and, um, took the MCAT, um, you know, did, got that score and, and, you know, tried my luck and I got in, I got in kind of late, but I can talk more about the whole process if you want. Um, you know, just kind of, there's an interview involved, right? Yeah. They were, um, four interviews. I had four interviews. So like some people get, you know, I probably applied to like maybe, I don't know, 50 med schools or something. Um, four interviews is kind of like an average number. Um, I think I got one interview from Hofstra, um, Indiana University, New Jersey Medical School, which is like uh, Rutgers. Yeah. And um, downstate, obviously. And um, I got waitlisted by all of them, actually. And eventually got off the waitlist at Hofstra first. Um, that was in, that was in, I think, May. Hofstra's in Long Island, right? Yeah, Hofstra's in Long Island. Yeah, in Mineola. Um, yeah, I think it's Mineola, I think it's Mineola, Garden City, one of those. But I think, I'm pretty sure it's Mineola. These were um, MD programs, right? Yeah, they were all MD programs. I didn't apply to any DO programs. Um, you know, I think, I think it's always a good idea to apply to DO programs. Um, you know, I had a very, I had very high marks, so you know, I thought I should try my luck with an MD program um, yeah. because when push comes to shove, even though the training is, you know, the school is a hundred percent the same whether you're going into MD or DO, in reality. Um, it is easier. Um, you're at a, you're at an advantage if you have an MD degree from the U S, um, when you're applying to residents. Statistically. Yeah. Statistically, yeah. you know, you're going to get into more residency. Well, not more, you, you'll get more interviews. You'll have a more competitive residency application, um, just because you have a USMD behind gotcha. And that's sometimes that's just how it is. That's just how it is. You know, that's not, not to say that a DO is any less of a doctor. I mean, um, there's lots of DOs that are way smarter than me. So it has nothing to do with the degree. It's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I was actually reapplying uh, to med school. I didn't think I was going to get in. Um, and then I did get off the wait list off of, uh, yeah, off of both Hofstra and Downstate. And then ultimately I made my choice to go to Downstate. That's pretty cool. Um, and then you went there from 20, 20- 17 to 2021 exactly yep yep and how was that experience yeah i loved it i think compared uh, to undergrad what honestly honestly i liked med school better i think um there was like the problem with undergrad i think is that you're kind of and i'm sure you guys remember and you know are a little bit closer to me than this but the problem with undergrad is that you're kind of learning things that you're kind of not you know, you're not interested in, frankly, like, you know, I, I was never really that interested in, I don't know, like, what did I take linear algebra in college? Like, why the hell did I take that? Yeah, you're right. You know, like I had zero passion and that translated to like, you know, me not really even understanding what linear algebra was. Like if you asked me right now to do any linear algebra problem, I would not have a clue how to start it. So I don't even know how I, you know, did well in that class. (laughs) Um, 
No, definitely. I, but, I, I, yeah. For those classes, I would learn what I need for the test, memorize the info exactly. as much as I could, and then dump it as soon as the test was over. Exactly. But for those few classes, I was passionate about. Exactly. Exactly. And th- those those are the classes that stick, right? Um, so, yeah, I think um, med school, it was. it's kind of like I describe it like drinking from a fire hose. Um, I think like... You just pick up what you want. Yeah, no, I think there's just like so much information, you know, um, and you're expected to take in all that information and really, um, really learn it, not only learn it, but eventually apply it. Um, you know, the good part about Downstate's program that I really appreciated is that um, they we had long blocks between our tests. And I think um, a lot of programs have exams every like two, three weeks. And that I felt put a lot of stress on the students. Because you were always in exactly. mode, like, like do or die mode. Exactly, exactly. And it's just like, oh, you're always on high alert. And, um, you know, when you have the test every 12 weeks, yeah, you're always on high alert. But um, at, at that point in med school, you should be, if you got into med school, you're probably a self-motivated learner. So you're going to be studying regardless, but not necessarily with that you know, high intensity pressure. So I think yeah. that bodes well for, you know, people um, like me that just, you know, have, have a decent enough work ethic to do their work early. Um, and then, you know, I lived in Brooklyn. So, you know, got to go out in the city, have drinks with my friends, go make out. Good my, memories. Exactly. Making memories with my classmates. Um, I lived off campus with two of my good medical school friends um, for two years. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. And, the culture of Flatbush kind of, I got to see a change from, you know, a really like, a really like ghetto kind of poor uh, neighborhood really um, in, in 2017. And then by 2019, 2020, it, it was injected with so many new businesses and, um, you know, a lot of culture, coffee shops and like, just kind of, it just, you know, brightened up and it was an awesome, awesome place to be, I think. That's awesome. Um, what would like all right so just some context yeah. uh my girlfriend is currently in her second year of med school at um uh she's in a do program in west virginia uh-huh. school of medicine uh-huh. and uh she's finishing up her second year right now nice. or i guess she's almost halfway through uh-huh. and um she wants she's interested in a pretty competitive like uh specialty she mm-hmm. is really uh interested in dermatology so okay. what what kind of advice would you give to somebody yeah i know like the uh the step exam is like pass fail now yes. um if you could also talk a little bit about that and like what do you think people like medical school students can do to like distinguish themselves amongst Mm -hmm. their peers that's a really good question so first i think um for your girlfriend i think dermatology is probably like the most competitive specialty maybe plastics is a little bit more competitive um so you know if she's considering it i think props to her she's probably done really well up to this point so that's that's excellent um and you know i think Derm is one of those fields, and this is just kind of like what I what I have gathered from my friends who've applied. Um, derm is one of those fields that you really have to know somebody. I think you have to have a mentor in dermatology 
um, yep. you yep. know, like nine times out of 10, right? Um, she, she might've mentioned this to you. Um, so that's one, you got to know somebody you have, a, you have to have a mentor that you, you know, either, uh, work with or do research with, um, that is close to a residency application process. I think that will help her the most. Um, you know, just know it's a very social field, um, and it's a small field. So I think that will help her provided, obviously, you know, she's obviously going to work hard. She's already in med school. She's already a smart person. She's going to have the grades. Um, you know, it's just a matter of putting the effort in. Um, and you know, even if the grades are borderline, I think with research and knowing the right people and having the right supplemental things on her application, um, like extracurriculars or, you know, like any type of, um, societies that she's in, any type of awards that she could have won, um, with research, um, that, that will certainly bode well. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that, I think the two main things for Durham are you got to have three main things. You got to have high scores. Uh, dermatology residents are the highest scoring residents in the entire country, um, outside of maybe plastics and ortho, but they're always like kind of the three highest, maybe ENT also. Um, so that's one. Um, you got to have the research. Um, so not just quality, but they also want quantity at the end of the day. Um, when people are reviewing your apps, they're not going to really look up your study. Like if you have like five, five publications, maybe they'll look up two, but you got like 20, 30 publications on your resume. They're not looking up more than one or two. So, um, it's really not that much about quality, but it's about just getting, uh, decent studies out and getting your name out there in the in the dermatology research world and through yep. ha- having a mentor to guide you uh through that research um and also just the journey of dermatology and a lot of people actually end up matching at the institution that their mentors work at um so that's what that's what i would advise and as far as extracurriculars i think um you know any leadership she can have maybe um i don't know maybe she can be the president of a, a club in medical school or um, any type of like um, like missions trips that she can go on. I know COVID's kind of complicated things like that. Um, and yeah, and their clinical grades have to be, have to be, uh, they honestly, quite honestly, frankly, they have to be stellar, right? You have to get honors on almost every rotation, you know, barring maybe one max two. Um, that being said, there are probably a lot of people that, haven't gotten those grades and still have matched well. So, you know, it's kind of, um, you kind of just have to set, she has to set herself up, um, with all those things. And I think, um, if she does, she'll, she'll be more than fine. Um, awesome. Yeah. So with, uh, this step exam, um, John and I are, we, we obviously haven't gone to medical school, so we're, we're not like the most educated on uh, that entire process, but, um, somewhat recently, I, I don't know the exact year, but the step exam was changed from a scored exam to a pass fail exam, correct? Yes. Yes. And that was meant to like ease some of the pressure that's on medical students that was on medical students in the past yeah. to like get like a top score or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what new challenges do you think that introduced? That's a really good question. And I think I was actually just talking about this with 
um, some of my attendings and some of my co-residents. And, you know, I, I think while it does make, you know, the, the step one is like the most daunting thing. Like I never want to go back to studying for step one and taking step one. I don't think I've ever had more stress. Maybe the MCAT was more stressful, but um, I don't think I put in, I think I put in like double the effort for step one, um, you know, that I did for the MCAT. Um, but it's, you know, it, I think making a pass fail will take the stress off that particular exam. But, you know, like you alluded to in your question, I think that adds a lot of new challenges. It makes everything else worth more, right? So research, you, your work, you know, students are probably going to have to have a ton of more research than they did in the past because they can't make up for a lack of research, like in a research heavy field, like orthopedic surgery or plastic surgery, or even dermatology, they can't make up for a lack of research with a killer step one score. Um, you know, maybe they might be able to make it, um, you know, make up for a lack of other stuff on their resume with a step two score. Um, you know, that is something that people take usually at the end of their third year. Um, some, some schools do it in their, uh, the middle of their third year as well, or even the middle of their fourth year. Um, but it's kind of like towards the end of med school The the only, the disadvantage with making step two worth more, or at least subjectively worth more or comparatively worth more is that the point at which you take it, you probably already decided what fields you want to go into. So if the, if the test is a limiting factor as to what fields you can go into, I think, um, you know, let's say like you want to go into plastic surgery and you need to get a 260 on step two and you already passed step one, all of a sudden you have a year left of med school and you've been prepping your entire life or entire career in med school to go into plastic surgery, but you get a 230 on step two. All of a sudden, you know, your prospects for plastic surgery go down. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, that, you know, there are different cutoffs for different specialties, but that's just how it works. Um, yeah. that's how the, that's how, you know, that's how the cookie crumbles essentially. Um, so I think their intentions were good, um, in, in trying to reduce stress, but I think in many ways it'll make medical school, especially third and fourth year way more stressful. And, um, that's unfortunate. And, you know, I think maybe, I don't think it'll, you know, probably won't change for your girlfriend cause she's a second year. Um, hopefully down the line, they'll, they'll, they'll go back to what it was before. Cause I think it was a little bit better, um, making step one that a little higher stakes, um, Yeah, you know, and another thing my attending was saying that, you know, the name of the game in medicine is taking in a ton of information like you do in step one. A lot of the times information is new and, you know, being able to process it in a short amount of time and apply it in a short amount of time. And I think that's a huge test that any uh, medical student and doctor should be able to pass. Um, well, what happens if you don't pass? Oh, if you don't pass step one. Um, you have to retake? Yeah, you have to retake it until you pass. Um, but the problem is with that is that it becomes a red flag on your application, your residency app. And it's very, it's, it's so shitty that that's the thing. Um, but it happens to a lot of people and, you know, like it's going to make your, you know, your matching process all really that hard. Difficult. Yeah. All that more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So, 
All right, let's, I guess let's try to transition to something that's uh, a little happier. Um, <laughs> how did you choose your specialty and can you talk about yeah. your matching process for residency? Cool, good question. Um, yeah, so I think I chose, I, I like found out about radiology early on in my second year. Um, luckily we had a pretty robust radiology and anatomy curriculum. Um, we actually had sessions where um, residents and attendings from the radiology department at Downstate would come in and teach us anatomy and pathology and physiology through the lens of imaging. Um, so I, I, one, I always found that very, um, very interesting. Um, I always like, you know, the second I, you know, was introduced to those classes, I was, you know, my eyes were kind of glued to the screen and, um, I paid attention. I kind of perked up and, um, you know, found myself inter very interested. Um, so that was one, that was kind of like how it, how the interest, uh, peaked initially. Um, I actually met, um, one of my friends, he was a resident back then in radiology, his name's Sean. Um, and he was one of the residents that came in and taught us during my second year. And, um, you know, just from conversations with him, he actually, you know, became my mentor now, like he's helped me a lot throughout this process. Um, just talking about radiology and the stuff that he does. He's now a, um, director of a, a, a program in Indiana right now. Um, so he's, he's, he's done really well for himself and just seeing his life and, um, kind of the cool things that he does and how happy he was, quite frankly. Um, that's kind of what I really really admired about him and, and the field of radiology is how happy radiologists are. Um, and then throughout my third year, um, I kind of, you know, wasn't, you don't really rotate through radiology at all during your third year. Um, and I found myself not really loving any specialty. Um, I did like a lot of specialties like surgery and, um, you know, like, internal medicine a little bit, but I didn't really like, I didn't really like love anything. Um, and I think just kind of throughout the, every rotation, I think, again, like I think whenever there was imaging on the CT scan, even if it was, I mean, on the, on the, on the TV, even if it was like, you know, four o'clock in the morning on a surgical rotation, um, I found myself perking up and even my friends would joke around with me and they were like, you know, the way to wake me up in class is to put a, um, put a scan up on TV. Um, and that kind of resonated with me and that stuck with me. And, um, I rotated through rads in fourth year and that kind of reaffirmed my decision of how, um, one, how, you know, like how scientifically, um, and, and, and physiologically and chemically and, you know, just like so many, all the different basic science kind of come together in radiology tech goes through radiology um and you know the work-life balance is great and uh residents and attendings are happy and i never met anyone in radiology that regretted their decision and they get to help you know 50 to 100 to 150 people every day and i think that's, that's awesome good. yeah so you're, uh, you're just kind of cycling through like images and kind of yeah you're building a file of what you think is happening Exactly. And other doctors are commenting on their input. And is that how a file kind of gets composed or something? That's, that's a good question. I think, um, yeah, that's, that's another thing I've noticed. Like 
I think a lot of people, even me before med school, I had no idea what a radiologist really does. Um, but basically a radiologist is someone who, um, uses imaging to diagnose or treat patients as simple as it's as simple as that. Um, so they're, you know, if someone gets a CT scan or an x-ray or something, um, the radiologist's job is to synthesize all the clinical information. So, you know, you go back into the patient's chart. This is a diagnostic radiologist job. Yeah. Um, you go back into the patient's chart, you kind of see their previous studies and you look at what you see and try to come up with an explanation of what you see. See, so, um, a lot of the times they, they call radiologists, the doctor's doctor, um, you know, attending doctors and residents are always coming down to the reading room and asking, um, you know, diagnostic radiologists what they think about, uh, particular scans of their patients. And, um, and a lot of the times these scans and these images, um, you know, kind of dictate and form practice. Um, so that's kind of really what I liked about it. Um, interventionalists do, uh, image guided procedures and diagnostic radiologists also do image guided procedures too, where they biopsy, um, lesions. Um, they, uh, put filters in blood vessels to prevent blood clots from moving elsewhere. Um, they revascularize blood vessels. Um, they treat cancer through minimally invasive techniques. So those are the things that radiologists do. And, um, I think it's just a kind of like an endless field, um, where you have to really know a lot about a lot. Um, and that's what I liked about it. You're kind of just a multi, uh, you you understand a bunch of different things and you're just picking up a lot of information so you can apply it. Exactly. Exactly. Diagnosing these images. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I was going to say Jack of all trades, master of none, but then I forgot. (laughs) And now I remembered. Well, yeah. I mean, for, to a certain extent, yeah, you are a, Jack you're a master and i guess a general master of imaging but in, right. in terms of exactly. you need you needing to be able to know a bunch of different things exactly you're not looking into one type of you exactly. know ailment i guess exactly exactly you're out yeah you hit the nail on the head i think um and and there is you know obviously like the one thing in radiology is that you don't really get into management and honestly that was fine with me um and you have to, you have to, you know, take that into consideration when you're choosing a field like radiology, you're not going to be managing conditions and, um, you're not going to be following up with patients for long periods of time. Um, and you have to be okay with that. Before you don't get you that away. connection. Yeah, you really don't. I mean, you know, if you're an interventionalist, uh, or a nuclear medicine doc or, you know, breast radiologist, um, those fields in radiology have a decent amount of follow-up and, you know, you can build rapport, um, but, you know, nine times out of 10, um, that rapport and that physical connection with the patient um, isn't necessarily there. Um, but you also have to ask yourself the question, you know, what do you get joy out of? Do you, you know, do you really um, need to have patients, you know, thanking you and, and, and saying you're a hero and whatnot? Because not a lot of patients do that in the first place. Um, so you kind of have to have, you kind of can't have an ego if you go into radiology. Um, cause you're not going to get that yeah affirmation. Exactly. You won't. And you kind of have to have that. You go unnoticed, like you're yeah. slept on discipline. Absolutely. Absolutely. You get, you go unnoticed by patients and, and it's, it's not their fault. It's not because they technically don't, they see, don't you. see you. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but you know, your, your, 
your colleagues in medicine will be more than thankful for you and they value you a lot. Um, and even, even interventionalists, um, and, you know, if you go into nukes again or breast radiology, you do have that option of having significant amount of patient interaction. Um, and I think that was, you know, it's not the same depth as an internal medicine doctor or a primary care doctor. Um, but it, it is, um, pretty, pretty, uh, satisfying for me at least. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's, that's what you have to consider. All right. I mean, thank you for, uh, thank you for doing your part to, uh, help the world and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Take, you taking that. time yeah. out of your, I'm sure, busy schedule to like hop on yeah, Black course. Box. Um, one topic I would love to talk with you about, mm -hmm. maybe in a future episode, is like mm -hmm. the business aspects of medicine. Oh yeah, and like like between health insurance and yeah. doctors' visits and all of that, and how sometimes like money could be like a preventative factor for people getting the treatment they need. Absolutely. Because uh, I have talked with Luna a lot about it and mm -hmm. like how in other, other countries besides the U S like yeah. free universal healthcare is a given. It's not like, it's not really up to discussion. It's nothing surprising. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd love to talk about that. I think, um, you know, I, I am just getting my feet wet into the world of medicine. So I think, um, especially intern years where you really realize, um, where disparities exist and how it really affects people. Um, so, you know, maybe after my intern year is over, um, I'll have a lot more to talk about than I do now, um, on that regard. Cause I'll definitely see it. Um, and I have been seeing it. So definitely would love to love to talk about that. Right, also, awesome. This is one of those fields that you're going to be learning forever yes you never become a hundred percent complete exactly you're absolutely right i think um honestly like i have an attending that was i don't know he's been practicing for like longer than we've been we've all been alive and he's like you know the more doors you open the more uh the more doors you realize you know exist behind that door so uh, yeah forever forever learners yeah absolutely awesome well yeah. thank you so much man no problem guys appreciate thank it. you for having me appreciate it Take care. Peace. Peace, man.